Hello and welcome to the Dairy Dialogue podcast and it's number 116, I hope. I'm still worried that one of these weeks I'm going to skip a number. But it also shows how time flies. It's already almost halfway through January and a rather cold one at that. Although that's, I guess, just a matter of perspective. I'm Jim Cornall, editor of Dairy Reporter, and we're starting to get a little bit more news finally. There are lots of new products being launched as well, and it would appear that 2021 will be a year where consumers push for better packaging, more sustainability, more choice, and healthy and functional products. No pressure there then. Before we get to the news from the past seven days, I'll let you know who is on this week's show. There are three interviews this time. We chatted with Pierluigi Decio, Business Development Director at Arcaroma, Redboat Ice Cream founder Tony Green, and the founder and CEO of Evergrain, Greg Belt. Close to home, Scottish schools made the news this week as everyone trying to log in to online learning seemed to break the internet or something. We had one or two issues, as did the teachers, but it seems to have all calmed down a little bit now. Although having said that, my living room does look a bit like a very untidy classroom with cables everywhere, with computers and phones and even some heaters. And of course, when you unplug something, it's always the wrong one. Because of the lockdown, I even read a book this week. And then I wish that I hadn't. I won't mention the weather here, but there's been lots of snow in central Spain. I have a friend there who sent me photographs of several inches of snow. I know they do get snow in the mountainous areas, but this was in a very warm, low-lying area. Craziness. Anyway, let's move on to this week's news, which you may have missed because you're helping teach. Or clearing snow. I did get quite a lot of emails asking about the Vianetta product that is being relaunched in the US that we covered last week, although I couldn't answer many of them. Like, where can I buy it in Oakland? Okay, in the US, the Baby Bell brand is going functional with added vitamins and probiotics. Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative in the US has laid out its legislative priorities. Selig has acquired Systematics and Friesland Campina are switching to 100% recycled PET bottles. UK cheese exporter Summerdale has acquired a Welsh blended cheese business, and in India, Parag Milk Foods is expanding its health and nutrition business and commissioning a lactose plant. US company LM76 has developed new CAM follower bearings, Ingredion launched an organic instant functional native starch in Europe. Kerry published its 2021 taste charts predictions for Europe and Russia. And Xberry expanded its range with an oil dispersible pink shade for fat-based applications. Fonterra's ingredient company NZMP launched milk phospholipids. And in the US, Ben & Jerry's is introducing some desserts for dogs. And Arla Foods is set to supercharge sales through e-commerce. You can read all of these and plenty more on DairyReporter.com. So let's get to the interviews. And first this week, we're talking barley. Evergrain is a new sustainable ingredient company in the U.S. using barley to deliver protein and fiber barley-based ingredients to the world. 
The new company, which is backed by brewing giant AB InBev, uses grain from the brewing process and transforms it into nutrient-rich ingredients that can be used in a variety of food and beverage products. To tell us more is CEO of Evergrain, Greg Belt. All right, so I guess if you could just start off with a bit of background on the company, that would be great. Yeah, sure. So I think it's, it's probably good just to start from the beginning and, and the story of you know behind all of this and um, it originates several years ago actually originates back in in 2013 i was uh, working on a small team in belgium at ab inbev's r d and um, and supply chain center and uh, that small team was um, responsible for the raw materials uh, that go into a brewery and basically barley comes in uh, the brewers do an amazing job removing the starch and that goes on to fermentation, that goes on to, to beer. But those brewers don't capture all of the, the nutrients. They don't capture the protein, they don't capture uh, the fiber. And this team was created and we looked at it and we said, why are we letting go all these other, other nutrients? And uh, you, know, you get answers like, um, you know, it's always been done that way, Greg, or you know, it's spent grains, it has no real use. And we took those answers as really challenges. And we started uh, really looking into it and, and we did find some technical challenges. It is such a great source of nutrition, these grains, that they either spoil quickly or uh, microbes jump on them and, and stuff like that. And so we said, okay, we saw a lot of technical challenges. And we started a, a collaboration with the University of Cork in Ireland. Uh, there's a brilliant food scientist there. Her name is Dr. Elka Aaron. And uh, we set on a journey with her and her team and the university to tackle those challenges. Uh, we looked at a lot of different ideas uh, over the past, you know, five, six, uh, seven years, and uh, we ended up solving those challenges. We ended up, you know, building those ideas. And Evergreen is the output of probably the best idea ever, right? So, and so we're excited to launch Evergreen. And you mentioned AB InBev. What's the relationship there? Is it a part of the company, or is it a spin-off from the company, or is it totally independent? Yeah, so uh, AB InBev is our partner, our collaborator. They're our investor, and they are a raw material supplier. So AB InBev is the world's largest brewer, has over 260 breweries uh, located around the world, and um, they can offer Evergrain a great source of uh, supply of, of grain uh, locally. Yeah, Evergreen will be run separately, and we'll be um, working closely and partnering closely with AB InBev on the um, on the grain supply and okay. supply chain. Is this like a, a byproduct? The the barley is it used and then you take it from there, or how does how does the supply of it connect? Yeah, if you view it from a beer perspective, it's a byproduct. So barley comes into that brewery. The barley is gently heated. Uh, that solubilizes the sugar that goes on to fermentation. And then what's left over is that great source of fiber and uh, protein. A brewer will call it brewer's spent grain. But the spent, as I mentioned, is like a misnomer, right? It's a great source of protein. It's about 30% protein by weight and 50% fiber. And, and if you're allowed to tell me about the, how the process works, how do, how do you create your products yep sure so you know one of the challenges that we worked on was you know not using like any harsh chemicals or taking like any shortcuts in the process so as we get those protein and fiber nutrients uh, we're basically just gently heating that adjusting the ph separating the protein and the fiber 
and then filtering it out for our EverPro product and then drying it, of course, it needs to be dried. So it's actually quite minimally processed as, as really as, as much as possible with no use of harsh chemicals. And you have the other product, Evervita. Could you tell me about that one as well? It's a, actually kind of a simpler process than what I described. Evervita uh, is a dried and uh, in a milled product. And uh, they're really producing like different levels of protein and different levels of fiber. So our Evervita product contains anywhere between 20 to 40% protein and is ideal for baked products, ideal for breads, pastas, pizza crusts, muffins. And when it added in those products, it increases the protein and increases the fiber without adding any starch for the reasons that I mentioned. And then EverPro is uh, high proteins, 80%, over 80% protein. And uh, that's uh, ideal for beverages, plant-based milks, protein shakes, ready to mix, protein bars too. What benefits do they have when they're in the end product? Yeah, absolutely. So for Evervita, Evervita, it enables high protein and high fiber like breads and pastas that are very, very difficult to get to with other ingredients without impacting the taste. So on the journey that I've described, you know, they say every good innovation uncovers hidden truths uh, or one of the hidden truths that we've, we've uncovered in this journey is um, that, you know, barley has a very neutral taste, almost like a background flavor. It's like a supporting actor or actress. So when we add our ingredients to a final formulation, it lets or the star of the show shine through. Another one of the, the hidden truths has been it's like functionality. So when added in bread and pasta, the fact that you're not adding any starch, but you're adding protein and fiber really transforms what people consider, you know, a high carbohydrate or a high starch product. You know, they can get additional nutrients into that. So it can, can transform bread and pasta and make them healthier. You can create like a sports bread or like a sports pasta, so to speak. And on the EverPro side, the EverPro has a unique uh, functionality. It has all the same same thing, same neutral taste, but it has a unique functionality as well. It's uh, 95% soluble. So it's a very, very, barley is a very different protein than pea and soy and, some, and, and wheat and some others. You could put EverPro, for example, into a glass of iced tea, mix it five to 15 grams, and you wouldn't even know it's there. It's totally see-through. Uh, and doesn't have like a chalky taste or chalky texture. In terms of circularity and sustainability, it's obviously helping out there as well. Yeah, absolutely. So our ingredients, yeah, there's kind of two two observations. Uh, one observation is, is no additional land is is being used because we're you know basically repurposing barley going into uh, our brewery. And the other one is we've confirmed uh, using a third party. Uh, they've conducted an independent life cycle analysis, and our ingredients have are some of the most uh, sustainable, if not if not the most sustainable, across all the different sustainability metrics, like greenhouse gas emissions, et cetera. Would it be something that like traditional oat beverages, and would they be able to add this product and that would improve the like the protein profile and give it some added benefits? Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, take two is is one example. We're also working. They're a small company. We're also working with large companies as well. So Garden of Life, which is a business unit of Nestle, um, they are a, a customer. That gives you a sense of the type of customers and the types of applications that we're working on. And so what does 2021 hold for the company? Where where, are you, where do you go from here in terms yeah, of I'm, the products? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we're really bringing our products. I mean, we've been, as I mentioned, we've been working on this for, for a long time. We've really finalized, in that course of time, we've really finalized our products uh, and, and two great ingredients. So we're going to continue to innovate. Uh, we'll be launching new products in, in 2021, but we're also bringing EverPro and EverVita to the market. And uh, we're collaborating really closely with uh, our customers as well as uh, flavor houses to produce like new innovations like a barley milk. There's been never a barley milk on the planet before take two, but then also is make existing products healthier and better or, and taste better as well. Uh, we're working with over, over 100 customers right now. And so you'll see some great launches throughout the year. It's an exciting time. Great. And is that global? Yeah, it is global. Yep, yep. We are still completing regulatory in, in some countries, so we're concentrating uh, mainly on uh, the U.S. and Europe. I guess this is ticking a lot of boxes for consumers because not only is it a product that has functional benefits, but it also is circular and sustainable. The consumer wants basically great tasting plant-based products that are healthy and sustainable. You know, oftentimes you go into a grocery store and these products let them down. Like it only has one of the three or two of the three. We're optimistic that that our, our ingredients enable all three, right? That products will be, plant-based products will be great tasting, um, healthy, uh, containing protein and fiber and sustainable. So we're really excited to help bring that future forward. Now it's over to Europe for a company using more interesting technology, and that's Arcaroma, which uses its SEPT platform, a high-voltage generator combined with a treatment chamber, to increase extraction from raw materials, including dairy, and extending shelf life and increasing the quality of the final product. To tell us how it all works is Pierluigi Decio, Business Development Director at Arcaroma. All right, so if we could start with you giving me a bit of background on the Arcaroma company. Yeah, Arcaroma has been uh, founded nearly 10 years ago by a spin-off of the university in Lund, the center for uh, a different type of uh, multinational also active in the food industries like uh, Tetra Pak, Frigo Scandia, uh, Alfa Laval. So there is a lot of uh, competence and knowledge related to engineering and uh, also the bioscience. And by tradition, there is uh, a polytechnic, a university that has uh, generated uh, thousands of engineers and scientists uh, working in the development of uh, all the related industries. From this uh, spin-off, it was uh, generated a public uh, company that today is quoted in the stock exchange uh, in the star segment. Uh, it employs nearly 25 people. Uh, we own multiple patents. And uh, uh, I think the unique thing of Arcaroma, uh, we own also uh, two different uh, laboratories. Uh, because Arcaroma is also, let's say, synchronized uh, with another company named OptiFreeze, and we split uh, the business focus uh, uh, between the two. Arcaroma is on liquid and OptiFreeze is on uh, solids. 
but uh, we share, uh, let's say, the hardware and all the engineering uh, forces. Uh, we just address uh, to the market into different paths. And in those laboratories, uh, we employ some bioscientists, and this is uh, making uh, possible to validate uh, our um, concept uh, for the different uh, source of product that uh, some of our clients are asking uh, to provide a solution for. In principle, what we are offering is a concept based on PEF, pulsed electric field, which can be inserted in different uh, downstream process of uh, multiple uh, matrix either in food as also on side food like the waste uh, the waste treatment could you tell me about the product sept sept is uh, the brand name yes that uh, we have uh, introduced uh, a few years ago it's a commercial no name it's a trademark name also that uh, describe our concept for uh, PEF pulsed electric field PEF it's a novel technology I think uh, it's already nearly 15 years that there are scientists uh, working on it but uh, there are already uh, three or four companies uh, that are promoting uh, PEF concept uh, for uh, different uh, applications uh, worldwide. And uh, Arcaroma has uh, uh, started, uh, as I mentioned you earlier, in 2010, and now we are in the commercial phase, uh, despite uh, the fact uh, that uh, by introducing uh, new technology like PEFIS, uh, it requires uh, times and it requires also dedication because we need to go along with a validation process uh, with the different type of uh, sources and also with uh, the multiple customers that are approaching us. SEPT uh, is the platform that uh, we use for uh, mainly uh, the vegetable uh, sources, which could be fruits or, uh, or vegetables. And uh, we classify two families uh, of SEPT uh, uh, according to uh, the scope uh, of the technology, because the technology can be used uh, to facilitate or enhance the extraction facility or for shelf life preservation of the finished products. Extraction means, uh, for example, increasing the yield or enhancing the quality of the extracted juices, uh, which could be uh, drinkable or thick like a puree or a mousse from uh, stone or non-stone fruit, preferably like apple, carrots, beetroots, in order to increase uh, the yield, but also to increase uh, the, some of the characteristics of the products, like the color, the aroma, the fragrance, uh, because we can extract more polyphenols, more antigenins. Uh, so the key components that are giving some peculiar characteristics uh, to the uh, finished uh, product. Sept Plus it's uh, a more intensive treatment in order to 
increased the preservation of the products by multiple days, and it is cold technology, which could be comparable, for example, with HPP, so the high-pressure hydrostatic uh, technology, which can uh, grant uh, multiple days of preservation of purees, cream or uh, fruit uh, juices that are so-called cold press because the technology applies in cold condition instead of uh, being pasteurized at uh, a higher temperature. If you want, I can describe you a little bit uh, the the technology. Yes, yeah, if you can give me a little bit of detail on how, how it all works, that'd be great. Oh, okay. Uh, basically, the technologies applies on a high voltage through two electrodes that are in contact with the treated product. The treated product can be, like we mentioned earlier, like a smashed uh, puree out of uh, different uh, raw materials, but it could be also uh, solids in a a liquid matrix in order to transport or to pump the product through the electrodes. The effect of applying this high voltage for uh, microseconds, uh, because uh, we dose the voltage for uh, pulses and uh, the, let's say, the the know-how, is generating, uh, this this know-how is generating an electroporation of the uh, cellular membranes. Electroporation, it means that practically the cells are opening up and in such a way it's possible to take advantage for the scope. It means that if we are applying in an extraction process, the liquids contained in the uh, cells, in the natural cells or in the vegetable cells of the raw material, can easily pour off. It's like uh, a draining, uh, it's like generating a draining uh, effect. If the electric pulse is more intensive, uh, then this electroporation might be even more drastic, generating an electrolysis. In this particular case, we apply the technology in order to kill the microorganisms that are included in the matrix that we wanted to treat in order to avoid the spoilage of the products by the multiplication of these uh, microbes. And when I talk about microbes, I'm talking about molds, eels, but also uh, bacteria. According to the electric field that we can apply, it's possible to apply this uh, technology for extraction purposes, that is the SEPT, or it's possible to generate an alternative technology to the pasteurization. And uh, in this case, uh, the product name that we offer is SEPT+. The patents are in practice 
covering all the three different items because our unicity is having developed uh, a chamber where we do the treatment with two parallel electrodes so that the chamber is perfectly cleanable in cleaning in place uh, so it could be easily applied in any type of uh, food uh, application. Being a novel technology, uh, we have multiple experience with vegetable sources, some uh, industrial reference already, but uh, for new application, uh, we need to work in synergy with either laboratories or customers in order to uh, validate uh, the process according to the scope. The applications that it has for the dairy industry, how are you using it in the dairy industry? Just preliminarily, I would like to uh, brief you that uh, we started uh, with the vegetable industry mainly for extraction of uh, naturally fresh juices into the olive oil business in order to extract uh, a more uh, uh, more oil but also uh, an oil with better organoleptic characteristics so a greener color uh, with a higher fragrance etc etc into the dairy we are now entering uh, with the set plus for the decontamination again the advantage of such technology is that we can achieve the decontamination at ambient temperature because we do not need to carry it through the heat. So the advantage of these technologies is to have a mild treatment in full respect of the characteristic of the original product. And this is particularly important when we deal with protein in order to guarantee the same characteristic of the protein from their natural source, like into the dairy. So we see a potential for sure on the uh, whey treatment. You know, the product that can be separated from the curdle and the strain of the milk so that we can have a source of decontaminated protein source that today it's a commercial product for multiple scope, but overall as a key ingredient for functional foods, uh, for people that has uh, uh, some disease, but also for people that want uh, to increase their uh, uh, muscle mass and having a source of cholesterol-free protein source. You've been working with the dairy company in Sweden on this with the whey. Could you explain uh, what the results have been and what's been involved in that? Yeah, for sure. Whey product uh, is uh, sanitized, uh, so is decontaminated uh, by the PATH technology at uh, cold condition before being uh, spray dried, so in order to, be, to become a powder, that is uh, the final product uh, that is packed 
So the scope is purely to decontaminate uh, the product, so causing uh, the uh, microbiology inactivation. Uh, so you have a safe and uh, clean product before uh, being uh, dried. So whatever is uh, the scope of a finished product, it, it has to be re-diluted in other type of uh, uh, ingredients, uh, you have a safe and clean product. Of course, uh, this uh, process has been uh, tested through a long period of uh, validation trials. It is uh, uh, nearly uh, 1,000 kilogram per hour uh, line, and uh, we expect to conclude, uh, let's say, the preliminary phase uh, of the uh, validation process in few few weeks we see really a potential for such technology to be used as a mild uh, technology for uh, different protein uh, source uh, decontamination and dairy but also the eggs business uh, for example uh, are looking to be definitely key targets industries uh, for us uh, where we want to be serious partner and a serious actor for offering new solution to respect the original characteristics of the uh, finished products because it is definitely an alternative technology to the traditional heat technology, the heat technology transfer that could be applied by uh, multiple uh, equipments, but also by uh, many actors uh, present for years or decades in the food industry. This looks to be a promising uh, technology for uh, very specific, very special uh, niche uh, uh, application in order to upgrade the uh, final food quality of a finished product. Now it's to North Wales for a chat with Red Boat ice cream founder Tony Green. I was only ever in North Wales once on the beautiful island of Anglesey, where Red Boat has its production facility. It's home to some of the highest tides in the world, as well as the train station with the longest name in the world. And I'm not even going to embarrass myself by trying to pronounce it. It's actually the middle bit with all the L's that messes me up. But that's not the point of this. Red Boat Ice Cream has invested £400,000, which is about $544,000, in a new ice cream production lab at its hub on Anglesey. Okay, well, uh, my name's Tony Green, and uh, I'm director of the Red Boat Ice Cream Parlor Limited, a business that my wife and I started back in March 2009. And um, we were lucky enough to secure uh, a beautiful old building in the lovely coastal town of Beaumaris on the Isle of Anglesey off the coast of North Wales. Before we set up, I was lucky enough to go uh, to the Carpegiani Gelato University over in Bologna in Italy, where I had the opportunity of working with some most amazing gelato chefs. They were so inspirational and so passionate about what they were doing, and you couldn't help but pick up on this. And during the, the time I spent there, we learned about the chemistry of gelato making, 
and about the use of flavors and basically what they were uh, installing in me was the idea to challenge our customers to create flavors that maybe you know they they'd never seen before but if i give you an example one of our first ones that used to capture people's imaginations was a strawberry mascarpone and balsamic vinegar and we put it out in our cabinet and people would come in and look at it and say oh you can't possibly put vinegar into an ice cream and i said just taste it first so i'd give them we also offer tasting. So we gave them a taste and invariably they'd buy it. And then we just really use that as our litmus test going forward that we would just be creative and it's paid great dividends, you know. Uh, now, 13 years later, we know we've got a fantastic product and a great brand, which we're trying to roll out to a wider audience. Strange question, but why is it called Red Boat? Okay, so when I was in the Merchant Navy, one of my best times sailing around was on this beautiful boat, and she was red, apart from some markings on her bow, etc. But she was basically a red boat, and I had a great time sailing around uh, Sweden and Norway, and it just seemed to be the way forward. And then we we built a logo around that. I think it captures people's imaginations. Like, how do you come up with the different flavors that you mentioned the first one not there but I, I saw in the one of the pictures that was sent over that you have some interesting flavors how do you come up with those so i go into a patisserie and i find a really nice cake then in my little head i can deconstruct that and then when i can get back to my lab or my production room i can create uh, a gelato based on those flavors and invariably i end up with a product that tastes better than the original because of the gelato in the background and just the way they, the flavors fuse together. It's a remarkable process. It really is, you know. But then we also encourage people to send in flavor suggestions and the ones that we think will work, we'll produce, invite them along to have a little tasting session and then they can take away some free ice cream with them. And uh, then we'll maybe put it into our own recipe list and, and bring it out. The other thing, so it can be inspired by events. In 2012, when the Olympics came to London, the torch did the round of the, uh, of the UK and uh, came to Bob Morris one day. I was asked to make an ice cream in honor of this. So I couldn't do anything that even remotely had the Olymp name Olympics in it. But what I did, I came up with a waffle, maple syrup, and crispy bacon ice cream. Not thinking really it might catch on, but about an hour and a half after we put in the napoli into our cabinet, it had gone. And again, that became one of our regulars. You mentioned trying to get this to a wider audience. Would that be with just normal flavors? Because in your shops, you have something unusual, as you said, people can taste it and test it. Is there a danger that if those same ones were sort of in the, I don't know, in Morrison's up in Scotland, that that they might just take a look at those and think, mm, not sure about that one, I'll go for the strawberry? We do occasionally push out some of the more quirky ones. But what we're also good at and had a really good following for is we'll take some of the classic flavors and just tweak them ever so slightly just to make them a little bit more flavorsome and introduce different elements and components. We've always made a rhubarb crumble and custard ice cream. One of the other things that we're doing as a business to get the, the product and brand out there is collaboration. So on the 
on Anglesey, we have an amazing grower, James Hooton, and he probably grows, amongst other things, about six varieties of rhubarb. So we buy that in, and we put it into our gelato, and then we put crumble through and a, and a lovely custard flavoring, and uh, it's, it's just lovely. So, yeah, so we're good at doing the basics and going back to basics, and particularly at this moment in time with COVID, I think people are yearning back to that, almost like their childhood, and those flavors seem to be becoming more and more popular. So we are focusing on that. Uh, you know, you're even, even just good old vanilla, you know, we, we make sure we only use the finest vanilla seeds, Madagascan vanilla seeds, which are pound per pound, almost the price of gold. But it's the only way of making a proper vanilla gelato. Likewise with our chocolates, uh, we only use the finest chocolates in there. And you alluded to strawberries when we make our strawberry and cream. Okay, so the other thing that we do as a company, we don't buy in ripples. We make our own ripples with pure fruit so we, we can control what's going in. And uh, It just enriches the whole experience for the customer. And where's the product available at the moment? Uh, so we're based on Anglesey, but we're, we're getting more and more customers along the uh, North Wales coastline. And what's helping us in this? So if I go back to, again to when we first started, and I was working in a little production lab, and no exaggeration, 14 hours a day, seven days a week. But then we were getting increasing inquiries from uh, business customers, restaurants, uh, retailers for our product. And we thought, okay, maybe the time has come now then to expand our production. So about two years ago, we were lucky enough to get a brand new industrial unit on Anglesey. And then with the help of the Welsh Government and EU funding, we created a purpose-built lab but what we did and what we made sure that we adhered to was our principles of making gelato not just ice cream but gelato what a lot of people do when they're going from small production in their little ice cream pot somewhere is they then go into what is known as continuous production and it's not where we want to be we want to keep our product handmade artisanal product and, okay, it costs more for us to produce because of how we do it uh, and the ingredients to go in. But at the end result, the end product is uh, just amazing, really. What's the new production lab all about? So in there now is a bank of machines, just bigger versions of what I used to work with uh, in, back in the early days. So we, we, you know, we can make Napoli's on a much bigger scale now but keeping it artisanal. But then the other thing that we've done, because we were getting more and more inquiries for the small pots of ice cream, we invested yet again just over 100K in sterling on the equipment to do that. And that was installed in February 2020. And by the time it was commissioned, about four or five days later, we went into lockdown. But then when we emerged from lockdown in summer of 20 it really came into its own and we were attracting so many new customers, not just for their Napoli's, but for the pots. And this gives me great encouragement for 2021. I think, you know, if, if we can get through the next couple of months and uh, maybe the vaccine starts to work and restrictions are lifted, I can see good times ahead, particularly for our business to business sales. Our business to customers, B2C, has always been good. And to further that particular income stream for us, we're taking on two new outlets this year. One's coming on stream 
uh, we should be getting the keys to this in um, February. And then there's yet another one that we should be rolling out in May, June time. But I guess one of the things about COVID from our point of view was it did become something of a double-edged sword because in the first six months of the year, obviously we just went trading. And if it wasn't for the Welsh stroke UK government and helping businesses, we definitely would have gone under. So I quickly realized that we had to make ourselves more financially secure. So that's when I started putting the emphasis on B2B and the green shoots are coming through on that. Um, we're getting more and more inquiries, inquiries all the time. That is still people are talking about us. Did you always sell online or did you move to selling online? Have you been doing that? Well, what happened, Jim, was if I go back to March of last year when the, the initial lockdown kicked in, both myself and my wife, we spent the first four or five weeks of lockdown taking free ice cream out to all the hospitals, hospices, care homes throughout North Wales, basically, because we produced enough what we was home is going to be a busy spring. That never happened. So we thought, well, let's just go out and give it away. And uh, as a bit of a thank you to all these amazing, wonderful, hardworking people. And then we realized then, because we were doing that online almost, because people had to contact us to give us their details. Uh, even though we're free, we still needed to go through, you know, various steps and then from that really we developed our online sales so you know we started doing to b2c online so people could order a party box or a some you know one of our gelato cakes and that proved to be really good and what we're finding now is that there's more and more developers developing online shopping sites and they're getting they are becoming quite sophisticated and I think, you know, even once hopefully restrictions are lifted, I think people will for a while still feel more comfortable buying online and having stuff delivered to them till they feel more confident about venturing out into that big world again. How often do you come up with new products? Is it just when you have an idea or do you sort of plan on a certain number each season? As we get inspired, we're quite a small team, but quite a creative team. So we can react quite quickly. So, yeah, let's say a restaurant or a, a theme park, a country park, uh, or the National Trust that we did a lot of work with, they said, could you please make us a bespoke flavor because we're celebrating this this month or this year? Then we can do that. So it's good to have that ability to think on our feet. But I guess we're always looking at different ways. You know, we're definitely developing our vegan options and we're definitely moving away what well, we have moved away from using soya we're now working with coconut milk which is beautiful has a lovely creamy texture to the gelato but obviously doesn't carry any allergens and is uh, hopefully a little bit better for the planet as well you know this year we've launched our gelato cakes and they're proving really really popular and they are rather gorgeous if i say so myself we're working on further developing our gelato sticks. If you imagine a nice lolly, but it's made out of gelato and they're tasty and they're quite new and we're just on the cusp of launching it is a gelato filled chocolate. We feel that we cracked that now and we're ready to go to market with them as well. They're exceptional. This new um, ice cream production lab, there's going to be like a place where people can watch gelato being made? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's really good. 
when we were open briefly, people could come along. We have a viewing area and they can watch the gelato chefs producing all this lovely produce. And then uh, we have a small parlor where people can come and have an ice cream or a coffee. It's been really useful and will be even more useful for going forward. It's also because we're trying to get more franchises as well. So the, the idea of having a little parlor here is to bring along any would-be franchisee and say, look, you know, this is all you need. We can make all your gelato for you, and this is the equipment you need. It answers many questions, actually, and uh, ticks quite a few boxes having that facility, for sure. When you mention that, is that something that you would plan on rolling out just in Wales or anywhere? We'd be uh, happy to talk to anybody in the UK. You know, we have a freezer delivery van. Um, we can get just about anywhere that we need to. I think in business nowadays, you've got to be as flexible and nimble on your toes as possible. And that's what we're trying to be, you know. You mentioned about like the, the National Trust. It's something that would lend itself to tourist locations as well as just sort of standalone shops. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's all about footfall, isn't it, in, in the uh, hospitality tourism sector. And you know, we, we've been lucky enough to where we are, locations definitely tick that box for sure. We would like to very much get the franchising sorted out so that that then encourages more and attracts more people to certain areas and that we can benefit from that as well you know we're also talking to leisure park owners we're talking to more and more retailers uh, albeit through third parties and that could be really good for us well it seems like it's been quite the journey and the journey is continuing i guess you know we're just so proud of what we've achieved uh, in the 12 years when I think back to 12 years ago, when it was just uh, myself and my wife, Lynn, started Redboat and we were working out of this building and we just couldn't believe the response. You know, within days of opening, we'd have big queues outside the door and we just knew we were onto something, that we were doing something right. And we've just kept that as our, our mantra, really, uh, all, all the way forward, you know, to keep the product as good as we can make it. And... Um, my favorite three-letter word is wow. So when people come into a Red Boat ice cream parlor and see our cabinets full of the most amazing flavors, then that is one of the words that we hear so often during a normal working day. It's, uh, it's lovely. What, what would you say are, your, are the three most out there flavors that you've created? And, what, and, and also the other side of the coin, what, what are the three that sell the best? Okay, uh, if I go for the three that sell, sell the best, vanilla, probably the best-selling flavor in the world. I think what it is about vanilla, adults love because it's lovely and creamy and it goes with other things, but to kids whose taste buds are far more sensitive than ours, it's quite an explosion of flavors to them. Other best-selling flavors, mint choc chip. Who doesn't like a mint choc chip? And our chocolates are just awesome because of the quality of the chocolate that we use in them. Uh, we are flavors, so we've already spoken about crispy bacon, waffle, and maple syrup, which uh, some people listening to this might think, God, this guy's lost his senses, but take it from me, it's, it's an amazing coming together of flavors. We, uh, we, did, uh, we did for a, a publication, a local paper. There's a famous seafood festival every year on the island, and would we make a flavor to help celebrate it. And so I made a gelato with a beautiful 
sauce in the background. And then I ripple through various shellfish, prawns, a bit of oyster, cockles, and the paper in question, they came along and videoed one of the guys eating the way through a pot of this. And fair play, he did finish it all off. But it was definitely a one-off and probably not to be repeated. And then we also did another similar marketing bit of work for somebody to celebrate Christmas. And we made a complete Christmas dinner with our gelato. So we had all the, the various ingredients you'd expect to have on a Christmas dinner. I made a, a, a stuffing ice cream flavor that went along with it. And then we crisped up some turkey that went through. And then for, uh, for the pudding, I made um, Christmas pudding and brandy. And then for the sauce, uh, I used a beautiful stracicelli so that when they poured it on the pudding, it crisped up and it was just uh, an amazing experience. Really good. It's good fun. It's good fun. We, we've had such good coverage and some amazing people talk about us and it just adds the wind underneath our, our wings to go out and push boundaries more and be even more creative and keep people on the toes when they're coming into a Red Boat ice cream parlor. If you are ever bored, you could always check out some of the pronunciation websites online. Some of them are not exactly that great, so when it comes to names and places, it could be hours of good, fun entertainment. And so that does it for another show. We already have one interview done for the next podcast and two scheduled, and of course next Wednesday is Inauguration Day in the US. Lots of sport to look forward to this weekend if it's not all cancelled because of COVID. I may have to buy another book, and hopefully I get through this one. But before I do sign off for another week, if there is something or someone that you think would make for a great interview for the podcast, please do get in touch. You can email me through the dairyreporter.com website. We're always happy to hear from you. So, until next time, wherever in the world you may be, please stay safe, take care, and, as always, thanks for listening. Thank you.